Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 57 and I've got lots of things I want to share with you today, which is probably going to be a surprise for you after last week's edition where you heard me say that I was feeling very discouraged and was wondering whether I should continue podcasting. Well, I've had a change of spirit in the week. I have got lots and lots of things that are exciting me and that I want to talk about. It's funny how moods change so quickly. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, I want to talk about all those things that might be stopping you from unschooling. Because if you remember last week, I was urging people to give unschooling a go. If you're thinking about unschooling, then dive in, give it a go. That's what I was saying. Yes, I'm passionate about unschooling and I want to share that with as many people as possible. But, of course, people might want to unschool but something must be stopping them because not everyone does unschool, even though they may be thinking about it. So I want to talk about all those things that may be stopping you from diving in. Along the way, I'll probably share a little bit of our own unschooling journey. And then I've got a few family stories that I could tell and I have some resources to share. Yes, I've been busy looking for things for my girls and I want to tell you what I found this week. So I'm going to start with those obstacles to unschooling. Maybe there are some people that have investigated unschooling. They like the idea, but what is holding you back? A couple of things held me back when we first started homeschooling. So I'm just going to tell you very briefly our unschooling story. Now we've been homeschooling now for, I think this is our 24th year, and I have eight children, which reminds me that I never give a proper introduction to my podcasts. I've listened to some other podcasts, and people are much more professional about how they do their introductions, give a little bit of information about themselves and what they're going to talk about. I always sort of skip over the bit about who I am and what my family is like and why I want to share what I'm sharing. And maybe I've got a few new listeners who don't really know me, so it might be worth stopping right now and saying, I'm Sue and I'm married to Andy. And we have eight children. We have always homeschooled. Uh, we've got two children who are still at the official school age. Two children who are registered as homeschoolers. The rest of my children are young adults, except for Thomas. And Thomas died as a baby 16 years ago. Now, Thomas is still an integral part of our family, and sometimes he does make his way into my podcasts. I still talk about him here and there. That's why I mention him. So we've been homeschooling a long time, and we started as unschoolers. I knew somebody who was unschooling, and I heard this phrase, love of learning. And I wanted my children to love learning too. So it sounded the perfect way of homeschooling. 
I only knew one other way of homeschooling at that time, and that was school at home, and that didn't sound very exciting. I didn't see how that would inspire a love of learning in my children. So we began homeschooling as unschoolers. The only problem was I didn't really understand the process very well. I thought that a parent had to stand back from a child, give the children complete freedom to learn on their own. I thought that a parent couldn't have a part in her child's education, couldn't offer any suggestions, yeah, had to stay hands off. I probably cheated a lot in the early days, slipped in a few books that I liked and told my kids about things that I wanted them to know. But one day I owned up to the fact that I was probably doing this. And I do remember a day when I thought about Shakespeare. Now, I like Shakespeare, and I was thinking, how are my children ever going to stumble across such things as Shakespeare all on their own if I don't tell them about it? And I thought this might be something they would really enjoy, and they'd never hear about it unless... I offered them the opportunity to learn about it. If I told them of what Shakespeare was about and shared a play, then they might like Shakespeare just like I do. So one day I decided we wouldn't be unschoolers anymore because this was more important to me than anything else. I didn't want to unschool if I couldn't share with my children. Of course, I got it all wrong. Unschooling is about sharing with our children. What I was doing was stewing, and that is totally acceptable. It's what we should be doing, learning ourselves, enriching our children's lives with resources, saying to them, hey, would you like to watch a Shakespeare play with me? That's all very, very acceptable. But I didn't realize this at the time. I thought that I was cheating, and then so I couldn't call myself an unschooler. So we went off down other tracks. I heard about Charlotte Mason, the classical way of doing things, I heard about unit studies. I tried all these methods out on my children one by one, and sometimes we went round in a circle and we tried them a second time. And sometimes I enjoyed doing this. It was more about me, I think, than my children. Would I enjoy teaching my children the Charlotte Mason way, say? And I forgot to listen along the way. We got to the stage where our relationships were suffering. I was making my children do things I thought they should do or things that other people had told me they should do. And my children were protesting. They didn't want to do them. And so we would battle. And it got to the point where one day I thought, is it worth it? I could see that we weren't happy with each other anymore. And gradually I threw things out one by one. I stopped doing any particular method of homeschooling. I dropped things that were making us particularly unhappy. And gradually over time, we found a method of homeschooling which suited all of us. When anybody else would ask us, well, what sort of homeschooling do you do? What method do you follow? I would just say, oh, look, we do our own thing. A bit of this, a bit of that, lots of reading. And that's all I would say. What I didn't realize was that our own way was actually unschooling. We'd gone the full circle, we'd come back to unschooling, but this time I understood the process, I just didn't know that it was called unschooling. So that's a little bit about how we 
left unschooling and returned to unschooling. So my obstacle to unschooling, what was stopping me from unschooling, was a lack of knowledge. I didn't understand the process very well. Some things sounded good to me and other things didn't, but they didn't sound good because I didn't understand completely what unschooling was about. So I wonder if there are things about unschooling which bother you. It can be a useful exercise to think about what it is that is stopping you from unschooling. Write it down. Because it might be that those things which you don't like about unschooling aren't really unschooling at all. And with a little bit of information, a bit of research, you might discover that they're not obstacles at all. So where should you start researching? Well, we have wonderful resources these days. We can find out anything because we have the internet. The only problem with the internet is that there are just as many people out there who criticize unschooling as praise unschooling. There are probably more people that are criticizing unschooling, actually. They've got a very loud voice. Unschooling does suffer from a negative image. It's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about writing and speaking about unschooling. Let's set the story straight. It's not what some people think it is all about. So when you go looking for answers to questions, it can be a good idea to find out a little bit more about the author of particular articles or the presenter of videos, say. Are they unschoolers? Have they any experience with unschooling? Are they criticizing unschooling but have never actually tried it themselves? Because I think until you try unschooling, nobody really understands the process. It is a very deep way of life, a deep philosophy. I've learnt more about unschooling as the years have gone by, by actually living it. It's one of those things that continually surprises me. I learn something new about it all the time. Actually, it's not a method of education, I don't think. It's more a way of life. But anyway, back to researching unschooling. So some people criticize unschooling, but they've never tried it themselves. For some reason, they just don't like the sound of it and they're going to warn people off. And then there's other people who may have tried unschooling, but it didn't work for them. But maybe it didn't work for them because they didn't give it a fair go. It does take time for children to trust their parents and for parents to trust their children. It takes time for people to let go, to get used to a new way of doing things, living life in a different way. It could also be that a parent unschooled but really didn't let go. Maybe she had her own ideas about what unschooling should be about and so it was a failure and now she wants to warn other people about it. Or maybe some people have seen unschoolers and want to warn people because they don't like what they see. I know a family who unschools and their children are wild. Maybe those children aren't being unschooled in the way that I'm describing. Or maybe those children aren't really wild at all. Maybe someone is just judging them. So that can be tricky getting the right information off the internet. And even if you read blog posts and podcasts from people like me who want to tell you all the good things about unschooling, you still might not think that it will apply to your own children. 
you might think I have a special kind of child who is especially suited to the unschooling way of life. It won't work for your children. Well, I don't really believe that. I think it will work for any child. It just needs time and understanding and commitment maybe to let go, to trust. So we can find the right information about unschooling quite easily by doing some research on the internet. But there may be other reasons why you're reluctant to dive into unschooling. Maybe you have to fulfill homeschool registration requirements. Maybe those requirements are quite tough. Maybe you wonder how you can unschool and also keep the educational authorities happy. We live in one of the toughest states of Australia as far as homeschool registration goes and our applications for homeschool registration have always been approved. No problem whatsoever. I have written a lot about this on my blog. I think a lot of our success is due to our record keeping. I keep very good records with with Evernote. They are impressive. They showcase unschooling very well. Yes, our authorised person, when she came to visit us for our last homeschool registration, she was very impressed with my girls' unschooling learning. Not that I mentioned the word unschooling. I kept that word to myself. I don't think it matters to her how my girls learned. What she's interested in is the results. And she could see that. She could see that my girls had done a lot of learning. It was showcased perfectly in my records. So a good vehicle for showcasing records does help and also an ability to translate unschool learning into acceptable educational language. But all these things can be learnt. I have, as I said, lots of ideas on my blog and I'm sure that other people have written articles about this as well. Homeschool registration is not necessarily an obstacle to unschooling. Now I can think of another reason why people might be reluctant to unschool, and that is, what will other people say? Because as I've already touched upon, unschooling does have a very negative image. It can sound like a risky thing to do. Children might grow up lazy if they are allowed to do whatever they like. They might choose to do nothing at all. They might be selfish because they have the choice. They just might choose to do whatever they want to do, regardless of what other people think they should be doing. They might not care about other people. And mothers, surely unschooling mothers are lazy because they don't put together a curriculum for their children. They're too lazy to do it. They just let their kids get on and do whatever they want to do. Of course, that's not the picture at all. That's a misconception. I've spoken about this in podcasts and I've written blog posts and so have a lot of other people. Yeah, you can find lots of information about these areas. So what would I suggest about telling other people? If other people are very close to you, like husbands and wives and immediate family, would they be open to looking at some of the evidence? What unschooling is really about? Maybe listening to some podcasts, watching some videos, reading some blog posts. Maybe all these resources will convince people that unschooling is a legitimate way of life and that our children are getting a good education. Anyone else, I would say, just don't tell them that you're unschooling. Does it matter what other people think? Just do what I used to do and say, we're doing our own thing. 
I'll leave it at that. I think that somewhere down the track, people are going to notice our unschooled children and how well they're doing. And maybe at that time, you could just sort of say, hey, we've been unschooling all this time. This is the fruits of unschooling. So that's a few ideas about things that may be stopping us from unschooling. If you're in that position, would it help if you sat down and thought about it a bit more? Thought about what is it exactly that is stopping you from diving in and trying the unschooling way of life? And then trying to come up with a strategy, a few ideas to overcome those obstacles. I hope you do. I hope that you do sit there and think about it and say, yes, I'm going to give unschooling a go, a fair go. Because I'd love you to join our community. It really is the best thing for our family that we have ever done. Talking about communities, surrounding yourself with a community of like-minded people who will support and encourage you will make a tremendous difference. There are Facebook groups, Yahoo groups, blogging communities, connecting with other people in your situation. That might be just what you need. You can always join in with my community. Everybody is welcome. Stop by my blog, become part of the conversation, hop over to my Facebook timeline. I'm always happy to answer questions either in public or via emails. So if you'd like to do that, please feel welcome. I want to talk about something completely different now. I want to talk about joy. All those joyful times that we could be giving our children. Now, we had two very special outings in the week. There were only small outings on the whole scale of things, but my girls and I enjoyed them immensely. Now, last Friday morning, we went for a run around the lake in town. We drove into town about 6.30 in the morning, and we did laps of the lake as our morning run, rather than running down our bush tracks. It was... A spur-of-the-moment decision the night before, as the girls were getting ready for bed, I said, why don't we go running around the lake in the morning? And they all thought this was a great idea, so we got up early, got down to the lake. Actually, when we got there, there was no one there. We had the place to ourselves, apart from all the ducks. And there was a big mist. It was hovering over the lake, and very surreal, actually. The ducks looked like they were suspended in the sky, because the sky and the water was just one mass of grey. You couldn't tell them apart. And as we were running, we kept disappearing into the mist and we couldn't actually see each other ahead of us or across the lake. But it wasn't cold. It was actually rather warm and muggy. It was a very easy run compared to the one we normally do because we live in a hilly area, so our runs are up and down hills, very strenuous. But round the lake is flat. So it gave us a bit of a change in the type of run that we were doing. I actually ran a little bit further and a lot faster than normal because it was on the flat. And after we'd had our run, we were finished, all tired. I drove up to McDonald's and we bought hot cakes and coffee for breakfast, something that we never do. And because we never do it, it was a really huge treat for the girls. I brought, we brought the cupcakes, coffee, I think we also had hash browns and the younger girls had thick shakes and we brought it all back to the table. I sat there and thought about it and thought, look, we're eating all this 
maybe junk food after we've just done a really good uh, run um, or exercising and then filling our bodies with this type of food. And then I thought, look, doesn't matter in the slightest. We hardly ever have this type of food. Why spoil the morning by thinking of things like that? We'll just enjoy. And that's exactly what we did. We enjoyed our breakfast. And as we were finishing, I said, we should do this more often. We should go to different places, get up a little bit earlier than normal so that we can drive somewhere and have a run in a different location to normal and take a picnic. If we plan ahead, we can take muesli, yogurt, our own coffee. It doesn't have to be an expensive morning out. We just take what we have at home. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go out maybe once a fortnight and have a run somewhere different from normal. I think it will spark up our running, but it also provide us with lots of happy memories. Sophie and I took our cameras with us, and of course we couldn't help snapping a few shots as we were eating and then taking a few of the lake and of each other. It was just good to have a photo opportunity as well. And both Sophie and I came home and we put a few photos on Instagram, which reminds me that I've been on Instagram for maybe two or three weeks now. So if you're in, on Instagram as well and would like to follow along, please do. The other small outing we had was on Sunday. After Mass, we didn't come directly home. Instead, we detoured from town to another local village where there's an ice cream shop. And this is a special ice cream shop. It sells lots and lots of different flavours of ice cream. And they serve them up in waffle cones, which we think is very special. So the girls spent a bit of time choosing which flavour ice cream they wanted. I mean, there's always too much choice and it's always a long process deciding but Andy and I, we had coffee, and we all sat in the cafe and enjoyed our morning tea together, took a few photos again, did lots of smiling, and then went home. But the outing didn't take us very long. I think we were there in the village maybe an hour, and we didn't spend an awful lot of money, just a few ice creams and some coffee. But we'll remember that morning for a long time. And sometimes I think this is what we need to do more often, Think about little outings, little things that we can do together to create happy family memories. Increase the joy in our families. I sometimes wonder if we should only treat our children very occasionally. Because when they get used to it, then they won't think it's very special. Perhaps we'll be spoiling them if we do special things too often. But I don't really believe that. I think that we should make life as joyful as possible. Do as many special things with our kids as we can as they're growing up. Sometimes life isn't all joy. We have difficult times. Sometimes there are things in life that we can't control. And life just isn't happy. But when we do have the opportunity to bring joy into our lives, I think we should seize hold of it. Yes, strengthen those family bonds. So I'm going to be on the lookout for things I can do with my children while I still have them at home. They don't have to be big things. They don't have to involve a lot of money. They just need to be thought of because sometimes I think we forget to look out for such opportunities. For example, when we go to town and we do some shopping, we could stop at the lake on the way back, feed the ducks, have a walk around the lake, Maybe even buy an ice cream. It doesn't cost much money. It doesn't take much time. 
but it does make a difference in our days. Of course, joyful moments can be experienced at home as well. Playing a family game together, baking something nice and sharing it. Lots of things that we could be doing. Now the last thing I'd like to talk about is resources. We found some interesting things this week and I'd just like to share some of them with you. Now today, Gemma Rose and Sophie and I, we were watching a series that we found on YouTube called Coal House at War. It's one of these reality shows where people go back in time, they dress up in the clothes of the period, and they live the lives of, of the people of that time. So this particular one was set in the Second World War, and five families volunteered to live the life of coal miners in Wales in a village during the Second World War. So they dressed up in the clothes that their ancestors would have dressed up in. They lived in typical Second World War cottages in a village and they went to work coal mining while the fathers and the sons, the older sons did. The wives, some of them did war work, some stayed home and did the housework, looked after the little children and the children, they went to school and of course school was very different in those days. So there's a few episodes in the series and we watched the first one today. This is the second series in the Coal House series. The first one is called Coal House. We, we watched that one together last year. It was set in a different time, but in the same cottages. And the families who came had to go and work in the coal mine as well. Now these episodes are all freely available on YouTube. In the episode we were watching today, they were talking about food during the war, which sent me on a Google search for more information about food. And I came across a site, a cookbook history site, that has lots of information about food in different periods of history, including World War II. Very interesting site, and I think it's geared towards children. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Now, Gemma Rose you might know, likes Jane Austen. She likes all the classics like Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. And this week she presented me with her copy of Persuasion. And she said, Mum, can I read this to you? She likes reading out loud. She doesn't read out loud because she needs to read out loud so I can check her reading. She reads out loud because she likes to be in the reader's chair. I like reading out loud too. She wants to do what I usually do. So I sit and listen while she reads a chapter at a time. And we've been enjoying persuasion together. It's really quite complicated language and it is good practice in complicated words and complicated sentence structure. Not that that's the aim of the exercise, but it's something that she's picking up as she's enjoying the story with me. Now the other day, after we'd read a chapter of persuasion together, I did a little bit of Googling about Jane Austen and I found a movie called Miss Austen Regrets. It's a BBC movie. It's about Jane Austen herself rather than one of her books. Now I don't know what it's like because I couldn't find a copy online that we could watch, but I have ordered a copy. It sounds alright. It's a G rating, I think, which is suitable for kids. And I thought it's worth having a look at. So that's Miss 
Austin regrets. I think it's about the fact that she might have regretted the fact that she didn't accept a wedding proposal. I'm not sure exactly, but I think it runs along those lines. So I think the girls are looking forward to watching that. We just have to wait for it to arrive in the mail. Over Christmas, we watched another movie about an author. This one's an old one, and I'm sure that most people had already watched it before we got to it. It's called Miss Potter, and it's about Beatrix Potter. So you might already have watched that one, but it was new to us. And yeah, we enjoyed that one too. Now, in my Facebook feed the other day, I came across a link to the musician Peter Hollins's latest um, song. He's an a cappella singer. He records all his songs in many parts. Then he mixes them all together so that he is singing with himself. And then he makes a music video uh, to go with his songs. And there's usually five or six Peter Hollins's featuring in his music videos. Now, Peter Hollins has been a wonderful inspiration for my girls, especially Imogen. She loves a cappella singing, and she did a similar thing with a music video over Christmas. She recorded herself singing, I think, three or four different parts of the same song, and then she put them all together using Audacity, and then she recorded, with Sophie's help, a music video to go with her song. I was quite impressed with what she managed to do for her very first music video. If you'd like to watch that music video, you can find it on her YouTube channel, Imogen Elvis. But yes, she is very inspired by Peter Hollins and his story, because he's a YouTube musician, an independent musician. Other people that she's inspired by are musicians like Lindsay Sterling. They have gone out there and found ways to sell their music, done things in a different way maybe. Now, there's a book I've just bought, but we haven't yet read, called How They Sell Music. I got it as a Kindle book, and its subtitle is Lessons from Celebrities on Creating Your Own Success. And Peter Hollins' story is in that book, and we're uh, looking forward to uh, reading it, to finding out exactly how he uh, promoted himself and his music and made a career out of his talents. So if anybody else is thinking about how their children can develop their talents and make a living from it, you might also like to have a look at that book and have a look at Peter Hollins and Lindsay Sterling. Look at their YouTube channels. They were successful. Now, I've subscribed to Peter Hollins's email list and have been getting a few emails from him. He seems a really lovely person. He's uh, got a young family. I think his wife is also a singer. And he seems interested in building up a good relationship with all his fans. Peter Hollins gave my daughter Sophie a very special moment a couple of weeks ago. She was editing a batch of wedding photos from the wedding of my son Callum and Casey. They got married last September and she has been editing her photos. It's been taking her rather a long time. She took quite a lot of photos. And one morning she decided that she would listen to Peter Hollins while she was editing. And so she went on to Twitter and she wrote something like, editing photos while listening to my favorite musician, Peter Hollins. And Peter Hollins picked up on that. He came and followed Sophie on Twitter and left her a comment. Sophie was so thrilled, she couldn't believe her eyes when she saw a notification saying, 
Peter Hollins has followed you on Twitter. She told Imogen about it and they posted, wow, a famous musician has followed Sophie on Twitter. And Sophie then felt compelled to write a blog post about it to share her excitement. Well, she wrote the blog post and then posted the notification on Twitter and Peter Hollins went to her blog and read her blog post and left her a comment. So he made her day. He seems a very lovely person. Talking about Twitter, Twitter is one of the things I failed at. I have an account, but I hardly ever go and post anything over there. But Sophie does a wonderful job with Twitter. She seems to have got into the swing of things. Not that she thinks anybody reads them. She's just good at coming up with short tweets. And I guess she enjoys posting them, whether anybody reads them or not. And the other day I did hop over to Twitter. And in my feed was one tweet from Sophie. And it said, how did I not hear that a new Mersenne prime number was found last month? Now, I didn't know that a new Mersenne prime number had been found either. I remember last the last one that was found, we got very interested in prime numbers and we had a look at the story behind Mersenne prime numbers together, watched a few videos and listened to the story of how they discovered them. Sophie had been on YouTube on the Number Files site and she had watched an, a video about the latest Mersenne Prime number and she was sharing that with her Twitter followers. She also shared it with me and then we got talking about Prime numbers again. Now the Number File video was presented by a person called Matt Parker. I did a bit of googling and I discovered that he has his own YouTube channel. He dubs himself the Stand Up Mathematician. And so he has Stand Up Mathematician YouTube channel. Some interesting things on his channel. Now Sophie got excited about another discovery yesterday. She was watching videos on the Periodic Videos YouTube channel. It's a chemistry channel. And discovered that there are four new elements on the periodic table. It was really funny how excited she got over this chemistry news and maths news. And we did a little bit of research and discussion about the, both those topics. So if you're interested in any of that, I could put the links in the notes. I've got one more thing to share, and that's a podcast. Now, if you're a regular listener of my podcast, you will know that Sophie is a passionate photographer. And Sophie has a number of Tony Northrup's photography books. They're very good books and she's learned a lot from them. She's also joined one of his Facebook groups and a couple of weeks ago he started up his own podcast. It's called Picture This. He does it with his wife Chelsea. Now the first episode is called The Ancient Camera, Camera Obscura. Now, Sophie doesn't have an iPod, but she found the podcast on YouTube and she downloaded it from there. Now, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, even though I have subscribed myself because I thought I might like to have a listen to that as well. But she was telling me something about it and they were talking about the history of the camera. Vermeer, the artist, came into the discussion. They were wondering whether he used a camera obscura uh, to help him with his painting. Sophie got very excited yesterday. She was wanting to tell us about how there are chromatic aberrations in some of Vermeer's paintings. Of course, we didn't know what chromatic aberrations were or are. We had to ask her to explain that. It didn't sound that exciting to us, but 
as a photographer, it was very exciting to her. So that's one podcast that she is looking forward to following. So I think that's the end of my resources. That's all the ones I had listed down to share with you. It's funny, last week I thought I'd have nothing to share with you whatsoever, and this week I've had quite a lot of things to share. So I hope it will continue like that, and I'll have lots of interesting things to talk about in future podcasts. So maybe you'd like to follow along. Maybe you'd like to subscribe through iTunes or follow through Podbean, or you could follow my blog. I embed the episodes there every week. I've also got lots and lots of blog posts about all sorts of things to do with the things I talk about in my podcasts. And you're most welcome to visit my blog. And if you'd like to stop by and comment or just say hello, please do. I've just got a couple of short things of my own that I'd like to share. I have updated and redesigned a couple of my old blogs recently. I have a grief blog where I post my stories about my son Thomas. It's called The Baby Loss Club. And that is at www.babylossclub.blogspot.com. There's a link on my blog, my unschooling blog, if you can't remember that. If you would like to share my grief stories or know anybody that would like to, it would be great to see you over there. The other blog that I've updated and redesigned is my Sue Elvis Writes blog. I've changed the whole focus of the blog. I'm using it now to write about my children's fiction. So I want to share some of the stories behind the stories in my children's novels, share little excerpts of them, things to do with the stories, associated things. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to write, but I am really looking forward to writing over there. I think it will be a fun blog. I'm aiming the blog at both parents and children. I hope that I can get the balance right in my writing style so that it will appeal to both parents and children. So if you'd like to know more about my children's novel, The Angels of Abbey Creek, and I've got a new one that's almost ready to be published, The Angels of Gumtree Road. I've got other stuff in the pipeline as well. Then please go over to my blog, Sue Elvis Writes. That's sueelviswrites.com. So I think that's all I've got to share with you today. I hope everybody has a good week. And please join me next week for episode 58. So thank you for listening to this episode and until next week, trust, respect and love unconditionally. Thank you.